Hey, what's up, guys? Lucas Burnley here, along with my co-host, TJ Schwartz. You are listening to the Edge and Flow podcast. Um, I'm super fired up today. I don't know why. It's like New Year. Mm-hmm. Just exciting. Um, we decided just... Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Clean slate. You... <laughs> Really, it's is, all in your man. head, yeah. but there is something yeah, about fresh it. Starts. I think it's, we I think it's just human simple. nature to like look at cycles and be like, that was the end of something. Mm-hmm. This is the beginning of something. I am going to rip. Mm-hmm. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we decided to take off this morning with literally no mm-hmm. plan, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Basically yep. sat down. We're just the having a conversation. Launched. Um, so, yeah, crickets. What are you, what are you up to? The, uh, like what's oh, your man. plan of attack you talked about this year and okay. So while we're at the end what of the doing week, like this, week? Um, this week has basically objective? been the final stages of the most recent, um, Burnley production project, which is the SQD two. Um, so I have been in full mm-hmm. on quality control mode, uh, since before Christmas actually, but we were out for a while. Um, but basically just going through every single knife and I have a little checklist of things that I go over and, um, I've been doing that and I finished yesterday. So that's big. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of get your, uh, your like laser vision yeah. on and handle yeah, some knives and it, you know, it's, it's the type of work that well, you're doing a little bit more of it because of the numbers that you're doing, but I'm not used to like, and even you, like you're not sitting down and looking at 500 of something. Um, and so it's, it's kind of nice now, because yeah. you can just get into a real flow with it. And I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and I kind of enjoy it, but I'm also very mm-hmm. glad that it's done. Each one of these projects I'm learning, I'm learning so much because you're essentially dealing, um, you and I have been joking around a conversation with OPP, right? Other people's production. So you are dealing with other people's production. Um, And when you have 500 knives, you are seeing the strengths and weaknesses of a system. Um, It's interesting for me because Mm -hmm. as a designer, like when we're dealing with a company that we're collaborating with, I think a lot of times we're looking that and maybe giving feedback on, hey, I'm seeing this problem reoccur. Um, Is it something we can look at? but we're not seeing it in scale, right? Like we're not seeing you do a, I do a Boker collab or a CRKT collab. I'm not seeing 500 knives and knowing like, Oh, this is a reoccurring thing. Mm -hmm. When I do one of these projects for our brand, I see it. Um, and there's a real balance point of, of like expectation versus reality. Like what is achievable, right? Understanding the system. And then I'm best served by, feedback that can improve my product, but can hopefully also improve the production system. Um, and that I think Mm -hmm. with these, like, as you see more makers doing like these small production projects, I think that the, that is something that a lot of people aren't taking into account. It's like, you look at it and you're like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to pay my money. I'm going to design this knife. I'm going to have this company produce this knife. I'm going to get this knife in a perfect world. That's how it works. Yeah. It's a, yeah. In a perfect world, it's just a yep. conveyor belt with perfect knives coming off and press a few buttons. But yeah, we, we all know totally. that's not the case. No matter how big, small, 
advanced, simple. I mean, it's just totally. It's a it's yep. an organic. Someone someone on their assembly line can be having a bad day, and you know. Um, so that's where yep. that's right. <laughs> Monday knives, Friday knives. There's Monday yeah. knives and there's and Friday the knives, knives, which is that's why which is like why at this point. I'm going through and QCing every piece, right? In an ideal world, as like a brand, there's a point that I could, I could order knives, have them drop ship to a distributor, and feel completely confident that those knives meet our expectations. Um, I'm not there yet, and no production project mm-hmm. I've ever done has quite been there. Um, so, mm-hmm. well, it's good that you're putting that on yourself right. to do 100% QC. That brings a lot of value especially with the eye you have for yeah. your and own And it is, work. it I mean, is hard design, though, because you're you balancing knives, like so. probably essentially like some heavy OCD tendencies. And I am used to what I put on myself as an expectation when I'm building custom knives, there has to be, there has mm-hmm. to be some flex in there, um, with, with production. It's not the same product. It's not a sole source. It's not one person making it yeah. from start to finish. Um, so you learn, but in that you learn, yeah. you learn how to work within the system and how to design for the system, right? Process is the product. So understanding the process. Mm-hmm. Yesterday I was thinking about this. I don't know why this like, it was a really accurate parallel for me. Um, if you go get a tattoo, right? And you have like an image in your head you are far better served by going to a tattoo artist who has, who already does that style of work. Right. So if you go to someone who's like, I do traditional Americana and you're like, I want this, I want this, uh, I want this, uh, oh man, what do I want? A portrait? Yeah. Let's say a portrait. I want this portrait of my mom. Yeah. He probably just made a bad mistake. Mm-hmm. Right. So produce production wise, I feel like yeah. it's a very similar process. Like if you can tie a model in with a company that is familiar with the type of work that you're doing, you are, you're serving yourself and the company and your customer better at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one piece of advice I've given people. I, you know, as a designer who some people, you know, will send me direct messages or emails like, Hey, I'm trying to get started in the industry. I downloaded Fusion. I designed a knife. Here's what it looks like. What do you think? How can I get it made? Like that question, how can I get it made? That's kind of like the big one that we get. And I I, I generally, you know, give good input, you know, show support and stuff. But a lot of times I'll tell people, I'll say, if you want to do this right, you won't design a knife until you already know right. how and who is making it. Um, because that's right paramount to what the design is. And yeah. I would design a different knife for different companies for different reasons. And I would see what they're good at. What are they weak at? What's a price point that they are well-branded to target and those sorts of things. And so I, I, I like to caution new designers that it's like, it's not about just designing a knife that you can dream up and then just like yep. plugging it into yep. some existing well, manufacturing and there's a model. It's the too, other way around. Which is so. if you can't tell mm-hmm. Like, or if you don't know what that, what you just said, like what it means, that is actually like the first thing you have to learn. Like you have to learn how to see, right? So if you can't see the difference between certain types of design languages, certain types of manufacturing principles or techniques, like that's actually, you're not there yet. Right? Man. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. One, one, one example I'll just get specific is like, so a full 3d contoured piece of material 
right? You might uh, model up this really fancy, like heavily organic contoured piece of material. There's a lot of ways that could be made that have different price implications. So like if you're designing an affordable knife, one way is it could be like stamped aluminum. So they do like cold forged aluminum to make any shape you want. And you can get like like affordable prices, like for example, on my Caligo design with CRKT. And, but if you didn't want aluminum, then it has to be 3D machined. So it's like, if you got into a, a situation where you had this, where you didn't want to use aluminum, you wanted to use either or, steel or titanium or something. Yeah. You got to be aware that flat with chamfers would have been right. a better choice for a certain price point. But if you did 3D machine right. titanium, like you got to know what the price point is expected for that. So it's like uh, manufacturing methods. You just got to have like kind of a index, like a Rolodex in your mind of like how this thing could be made and what price point you're targeting. And that's where you get into, uh, maybe I've talked about on the podcast, but like the value proposition part of this is that like, if you, if your design requires an extensive amount of machining to do something that doesn't really bring value to the design, that if it was say flat and chamfered with a cool pattern, people would have liked it just as much. Then that value that you're adding with the machining is kind of wasted in a sense. Um, and so it's like, what value you want this knife to have to the customer and then design it in a way that the manufacturing aligns with that and with the customer Caveat expectation to that being wants a more production mindset. Um, so you and I were just looking at the camo knife that Dimitri uh, just did. Mm, that is a prime yeah. example of what you're talking about. Okay. He essentially took three different materials and machined mm. them into a camo pattern and assembled a folder with those materials. It's like a puzzle and it is, man, it is so perfect because it's not garish. The, each of the shapes is like beautifully designed, but that knife as a production knife would just be either. It would be a totally like top shelf, like flex for a company or, or it really wouldn't be feasible. Right. But as a, as what Dimitri does as a very high end custom, showing the work and like it's concept it's a concept car man it is so cool yep and that's right and that's where that's his value proposition is he's going to put you know x amount of hours into just having this camo pattern and people are going to buy it because of that because that's that's what they that's what that customer wants in a product whereas here hold on it's crazy to think i mean with this stuff i feel like we've probably talked about a little bit but like I think on the custom side, like you say, value proposition, you're buying someone's time. So if we look at time as a non-renewable resource, (laughs) you, that is, that's the value proposition. You're buying a block of someone's life. That is crazy. Kind of sounds kind of dark. And like, in a way it almost is. Well, right. I think there's there's another facet to that too is like if you have the reputation that you know certain makers have where it's like you can't just right. call the maker and say yeah I want you to make me a knife and have it in a month where it's like there's yeah. exclusivity that's part of that value proposition is like you're paying for in addition right. to their time kind of like the exclusive right to have that yeah. in your possession which is not easy to come by um, and so that's where you talk about like secondary market value proposition but like I just like thinking about what is the value in what I'm selling and where does it come from? And then how do you optimize? But 
and you can optimize it, like we said, in a real ultra high-end, one-off, crazy Sinkovich out of this world folder. Or it could be right. you're designing something you want to end up in Walmart. Yeah. You know, man, I mean? it's like, a it's a really fun process. Kind of I don't know. I feel like this this year is. I think one of the reasons I'm so excited about it is I see, I actually see a bunch of problems um, created over the last couple of years in the industry. And I am <laughs> kind of a glutton for punishment, I guess. And I'm excited to like find the opportunity in those. Right. You feel the same way kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's going to be an interesting cycle. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of charging into this year with a full plate, honestly, like, I'm, 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 I feel like I'm handling it pretty well. I feel like I'm not like dropping any plates <laughs> right now, but like I've been, my head's been kind of spinning cause I, I don't want to get in the weeds yeah. on it, but I'm like forming a corporation, like an S corporation for tax purposes. And so I'm setting like our, our family nice. up on payroll as like a sole employee of the company and like, kind of like scaling up with my man, with my stuff. It's like part of a, a, a facet of my making is like supply chain management. And so I'm kind of working with that and it's like, wow, there's, it's a very yeah. heavily charged first quarter this year of like, um, you know what though? That's like a growth, night. I think that's I kind of a nice pains. way to do it because you're as long as, well, again, different, different, maybe different needs, but like, as long as you don't just try to push that the full year, but if you're starting off kind of charging, if you start to lose some steam, you've already done so much work that it kind of averages out through the year. I mean, the S corp thing for me is a huge one. Like we, we look at like how we make our product. We look at equipment at a point you start looking at your earnings as, as I think both it's a, it's like a product and it's equipment. I mean, it's, it's kind of everything. And so if you can make that work efficiently as well, I think that's a big, that's a big boon for us. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've been psyched on mm-hmm. S Corp. That's for sure. And uh, yeah, it sounds like, yep. I mean, my accountant yep. says absolutely, absolutely do it, do it. And uh, the only reason last year I didn't do it is I bought so much equipment that I was able to get through the year in a right. way that was like, I wasn't going to be super tax liable, but this year I, I don't have yep. a list of equipment to buy like I did last year. So it's like, I've got to be thinking January 1st, the IRS, yep. you know, are you going to set like up a set? I like, got to think about that out of the gate. Um, yep. SEP IRA. A SEP. Okay. So even oh, if, yeah, even yeah, if just, probably, just yeah. for you for habit, mm-hmm. like if you're using like Wellfront, right. So you, you can run a SEP in Wellfront and you basically can contribute 25% of your W2 earnings. Okay. Um, if you don't know what that's going to be, although if you're setting up payroll, like you actually kind of do, you can just dollar cost average and just start, you know, even if you're dropping a hundred bucks a month in there, at least you're in the, you're in the river. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah. I, 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 like I said, I'm going to sit down with my accountant because I've basically, I have to get, I don't, I didn't even have an LLC. So I had to form the LLC form uh like a bunch of licensing stuff like i've been basically waiting for paperwork and stuff but i've got the time uh because 
sure, sure. I can form an. I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but I'm I'm getting a collection of things ready to take to the accountant and then sit down and like this is yep. the plan. This is how much I'm going to pay myself. This is this that. So that, like I said, is what's kind of like clouding my mind. Is like I'm thinking of all that on the on the on the kind of yep. fringes of thinking about, like I said, supply chain management. Cause one of the things that's happening is like, if I'm, I'm, I said earlier on a, on an episode that I was, I'm working with tactile knife company to do some bevel grinding for me. Um, so what it's, what's changed hugely and it's really changing the way I look at my business is that I used to be able to order like one sheet of steel, which maybe is like 60 knives and then kind of work through and kind of keep one sheet of steel or maybe two sheets coming and just kind of like a trickle, like just keep it moving. And then there's no single huge batch happening. It's sort of like a flow. But with the bevel grinding, the way that those machines run, it's just like any CNC or lathe or whatever is like, you kind of got to front load. You kind of got to get a large batch together. Um, And so it's like, I'm, I'm like getting ready to like kind of pressure test my supply chain to like get a large batch through. And then turn it into more of an inventory scenario where they've already been machined, heat treated and ground. Um, And so I've got but I've the hard part about that is I got to decide how many models I'm willing to inventory because that's a lot of money sitting on a shelf. And that's like that's the question right now is like I've got all these models in mind. But if I'm trickling, but like before with one sheet at a time, I could launch five models and just keep one sheet at a time and just kind of keep it flowing. But now it's like, well, if I wanted to launch five models. So these are like the biggest questions because this comes down to like the concept of more is more. Okay. Scaling. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I think we look at scaling as like, oh, I'm going to scale this project or this business. The issue arises when everything related to it also scales. So I think it's worthwhile being super cautious. Like, how and where you scale. Like you're doing one product. That one product is actually changing the way that you are acting inside of your business. Scaling one thing, right? No, for sure. Yeah. You go, you do five models and it's like all of a sudden there's a need for like outside investment. (laughs) Like. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. That's literally the conversation I have with my wife is like, I was like, if I wanted I, you know, we're talking many tens of thousands of dollars worth of stuff sitting on a shelf, like got to think about the implications of that, you know, and like, would I rather have yeah. that financed or would I rather pay cash and grow it? Would I, you know, like the question is very intense on that amount of money. Um, and so that's kind of like what I'm thinking about going into this year. And uh, yeah, it's, I've got some solutions in mind. Can I take, it, can I take uh, us on a tangent? Yeah, it's fun though. Okay. I'm having a good time. Inside of the knife yeah. industry do you see more private investment coming into small brands? Okay. The reason I ask I is so. over the past couple yeah. years, it's happened a few times, um, notably. And I feel like it is, it's still a rarity. Okay. But I think mm-hmm. that I'm seeing a minor trend start, which is some of these small brands are mature enough at this point that they've had very long-term collector slash like 
community member engagement. And some of those community members are in positions where they're like, Hey, like I have some money to like throw into a project. And like, I've been around for 10 years and I've watched this like grow and I want a piece Mm -hmm. or it's like a, a venture capital. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like, but on like a small scale. Okay. Yeah. I just, I've like been watching. I'm like, man, all right. Like there's, there's like a couple that have happened and I'm like, all right, as those are successful, I feel like it's going to start opening up conversations for that to happen more frequently. No idea on how it'll work out, but it was just kind of a gut feeling that I had. Yeah. Huh? No, that's, that's exactly what's on my plate. Like I said, is the, that, that con that concept of, do I, you know, get a leg up and like really go for boom growth with like some outside reinforcement or keep it, you know, one thing at a time, kind of slow, uh, bootstrap it as like, uh, John, John Saunders would say. And, uh, that it's just a hard question because it's like, you know, capital infusion, like it, it can be a blessing and a curse, you know, it's like, it's something to be, it's, it's like fire, you know, it can burn you, it can cook for you. It could do I have no, I have no problem with taking loans. I have no problem with capital injections. Um, I have a hard time with giving up ownership. That, like, that's something that's not. Oh yeah, that's not something Um, I'd be interested in. Yeah, I think I've recommended for you, like, like the like doing, um, like Shopify loans stuff like that. Like, there's some really or like QuickBooks has like small business loans that are really interesting. Um, Yeah, I. I wouldn't you be wouldn't, interested yeah, in a yeah, silent yeah. partner. I'll say yep. that. Like if I ever had a brand, right. maybe, probably yep. not Schwartz Knives, but if I ever like wanted yep. a brand, like I could see a partnership happening. But to just have like yep. a cash-based ownership um, that's just purely m- monetary, like I think it just would become yeah. uh, well, ripe the, for the, the silent conflict, thing maybe. is and for a sole operator, it's not something that, is helpful. It's really not unless it, unless your business is like Mm -hmm. purely based around like cash flow, kind of like, which we're not. Um, I see it as definitely more of like an active partnership on a, on a side note of this, like I'm actually in the process of creating a new business with a partner completely for both of us as an experiment Mm -hmm. and like a learning tool. Um, I find that I learn best when I'm actually involved in the process and have to like problem solve it inside of it. Um, but this is a new venture, not bringing a partner into an existing business. Um, which, and I understand why people do that, uh, for sure. Yeah. I mean like Jeff Bezos, he owns 16% of Amazon. Because right. of all the the funding cycles, which that is they also like and, at a at a yeah, point, that's just like, how it goes for some big business of scale. Which again, inside of the knife industry, like these companies, these especially the smaller ones, like don't really work like this, right? Um, like they're not like public. It's not like there's a publicly yeah. traded. I don't think there's a publicly traded knife company. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, you're not you're yeah. not looking for like fifteen yeah. billion dollars. Like a for million some dollars injection would be like yeah. a bunch of projects. Right. But still for, for like yeah. us little guys, yeah. that's a, I mean, that mm-hmm. getting past that point, that's tough. 
So yeah, I don't know. Just something that's kind of been like rolling around on my mind. I'm like watching things happen and, and seeing these brands grow. And like, there's, there's a point where you can't, there's a divide that is very hard to bridge for growth, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the phrase John yeah. Saunders says is uh, growth eats cash for breakfast. And it's, it's very true. It's like every time you try to jump yeah. from your current plane up to the next plane, yeah. it just, just cash just burns yeah. all around you, like on that, on that upward move. And then you can kind of stabilize at a new level. And and for me, it's like, again, you talk about Jeff Bezos, like he talks about going 25 right. years without taking, without making money. Right. I mean, and it's yeah. hard to believe, but it, like, I, I believe that that was true. And it's like, well, right. you can continue to jump vertical planes and like climb and never make money. Right. I'm not really interested in growing like indefinitely like that. Well, it's and like, that's which growth plane do you at what decide cost, is where you want to right? live? Because there's no, uh, it works for certain personality yeah. types. Like our business has grown and our quality of life has gotten better. Um, there's areas mm-hmm. where sure I could have like made certain decisions that like might've been like a really long-term play. I'm like pragmatic about it too. And I'm like, you have to plan for tomorrow, but like, you're not guaranteed 10 years from now. So I'm not willing to make decisions that are like the payout is lottery payout in a decade. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather just make like small moves and hopefully end up like somewhere near Mm -hmm. that. I don't know. I, this is like pretty heady kind of, it's like very abstract especially for the types of businesses. Yeah. It's like, we're not, we're not trying yeah, to rule exactly. the world. Like we're not, not trying to be either. Elon Musk here. I mean, I'm not same, but I think that plays that's into it. Goal. Right. Because if you are, that's where mm-hmm. those like moonshots like come into play. Cause you, that's the only way that you're like, yeah, get that big. Yeah. And I admire that when it, like I, I, in no way, the fact <laughs> that I am not looking to be Elon Musk in no way makes me look down on that mindset. I think that is an awesome mindset. Like, honestly, it's, if you're going for the moon, like you, you're willing to put 30 years of your life more, into, more into a growth you. cycle. That's pretty cool because yeah. there's so many yep. things that would never have happened without that yep. mindset. Big and revolutionary I, I appreciate it hundred percent. I just, changes. that's not me. Man. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But here, let me ask you this. This is another little facet of what I'm kind of wrestling with this year is like, it's funny as I grow, like with my shop output, it's like every time I, I solve a bottleneck by buying like a piece of equipment. Then the next bottleneck becomes obvious. And then it's like, how many bottlenecks do you solve before you finally find a bottleneck that you can just live with? And that's like the final bottleneck. Does that make sense? Because right now I've got the spindles. I've got the, uh, well, I just bought a tumbler that I'm picking up like in a week and that should solve that bottleneck. What did you end up dealing with? Probably became the new bottleneck. It's a Mr. Deber, uh, three cubic foot. Cool. And check yeah, in in a few months and see how it's, it's doing for you. Yeah, it should be good. I'm excited for it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you know. It's I'm, I'm, I bought one. They actually That's had amazing. it in stock local, which is crazy. And so I just bought it like literally physically went in there and looked at it. I need to come out it, and like hang a, out with like you. And we do like, it's crazy. I don't but, know, like go look equipment shopping in Boise or something at <laughs> some point. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you go to the, okay. all the knife Back manufacturers and look at, but, but yeah, I bought it 
the only thing is I had to wait on the media. So sure. I, I, I didn't want to pick it up and do all that until yeah, the media good. arrived because it was a special thing. Um, but the uh, as soon as I had the tumbler, I was like, well, now the sandblaster has to keep up with the tumbler, which is fine. The blaster I can do it. But now my compressor suddenly became in question. Kaiser. And so I was like, well, I didn't even <laughs> think about. Uh, so the 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 final bottleneck i think i can solve in my current shop that involves like a equipment purchase mm. is a screw compressor and after that i i really am tapped out for space and whatever bottleneck emerges after that is probably just going to be it for this shop um and so that is where yeah i'm shopping for a five horse air screw compressor 5C. so just i don't want even, one don't mess with it i don't know <laughs> Uh, here's here's my thought though is like my space is so limited that here's my little my little idea so the actual compressor on a screw compressor is really small so like if you get a five horse compressor from like either quincy or ingersoll rand or like uh one of the kind of standard air compressor brands they're usually about 24 inch by 24 inch footprint it's like a cube but they usually mount it on the tank right and so the tank sits horizontal I can't fit a horizontal tank. It's just way too big. My idea is I'm going to put my current compressor, which is a big enough tank, 60 gallon, put it outside and okay. then only have the compressor okay. inside because it needs to be. And then have the it be sure. like a slave tank that's being aired up. And okay. it's also, it still would have the compressor on it. So it's like if in a bind, if my screw went down, I could actually run that compressor and it would help run the shop. But the... I'm going to put the screw compressor on a shelf okay. so that I gain all the floor space of where my compressor currently sits. And so then, like I said, it's like six feet off the ground in the air, kind of like a compressor. Yeah, that makes sense. And I gain the floor space underneath. And it, that, that I have to think in terms of space almost totally. as the predominant thing. Like I just, I can't so fit anything in the shop. Like not even Well, it almost thing. doesn't matter because space is the, is the primary concern. So what is that compressor screw type compressor head cost? The, yeah. the, the, the screw itself, the compressor yeah. unit is like 5,500. So, and it's, it's like a, like if sure. I went with the Quincy, which is and pretty it's small enough likely, that you can mount it up uh, there. It's a really good brand. It's really need. reputable. Yeah. 24 inches square by like 30, 30 inches tall. Uh, the only thing is I have to, figure out what the air intake yeah. and like heat signature just, of it is to make sure I don't like isolate like it and heat it too. up. Cause it is vertical. It is fairly small. I know you, I know like you're saying like this is rock yeah. in a hard place. I'll look at it, but I've seen your growth too. Yeah. And like, I don't even know how much longer yeah. you're going to be in that shop. I mean, I mean, uh, in, you know, probably knows, not, maybe not year, a whole lot longer, but you might very well be out of there by next year. So 5,500 mm-hmm. bucks. It's like if you're at an, Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious to see. Well, the 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 thing I, I look at too with it is like the in the future, uh, what a lot of machine shops do is sure. they'll have two compressors and they neither of them may be quite big enough to meet the demand that they have. But what they'll do is you have adjustments on your compressor, like it'll sure. air out until it hits a PSI and then it kicks on the the pressurizing. And so you can have one compressor sure. at like 10 PSI lower than the second one sure. so that the first one is doing all the heavy lifting. Yep. And then if it gets Kicks over in. overburdened, then the other one like helps. 
And then so, uh, and that way you also have the redundancy. Yeah, I don't know why like, I'm so, yeah, I don't know never why I'm be without air because you have I two. have the Kaser and then I have a backup compressor. But, but the Kaser is 20. Yeah. I want to say got, it's, you got a sweet either, it's either 21 or 24 CFM at a hundred percent duty cycle, hundred percent. And it, and it has a, an, a That's chiller fantastic. in it. So, so the air is dry. So basically it goes through an air conditioner, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, with the Quincy, that's one thing is yeah. I would have, they also make the dryer. So you so have, the dryer, buy the, would have, you'd to, have to buy the dryer, um, for buy the Quincy reasons. wall mount it. So you're at 6,500. Yeah. It's about a thousand bucks. And then you, you've got the two. So, yeah. I mean, you have an outside area. You could do an air tower and put it outside. And then when you go to a new shop, that compressor actually satisfies your need. My my only problem with that is I've heard with the screws, they're very temperature sensitive because they, the tolerances mm-hmm. of the screws themselves, if it's like cold, they'll buy, like they'll have more friction. It's kind of like a cold diesel engine or something. Just it's like, try to keep it. I've seen like, try not to mm-hmm. run it if it's below a certain temperature ambient. Yeah. I suppose that could be a problem. Um, and so that's, that's my yeah, only issue is like, I just ahead. don't think I can put it outside. Uh, and that's the thing. The, I mean, the, a lot of these are, uh, they but, are not, they're not like ideal solutions. It, it is fully environmental and need based solutions. And like, if you spend 5,500 on a compressor and run it for yeah. a year and so, make the product that you need to make paid for itself, it's worth it. Yeah, and I and I also think like yep. I the CNCs don't use hardly any air. Like they just sip. They just barely I mean you could run like a yep, little like four CFM pancake compressor and run your CNC. Yep. It's it's just it's just the blast cabinet. That's the only thing. And the and I don't think I'll grow within any reasonable amount of time. I don't think I'll grow to where I'm gonna have yeah, two yeah, yeah. blast cabinets running full steam at the same time. And so it's like the bottleneck currently with the air, like it shouldn't be a bigger bottleneck really ever because if it's like, it, you may have to spend more hours on the blaster, but as long as the CFE, CFM can run it, it's just more hours of running. I mean, but if I ever had two employees and, running and two the cabinets, running then yeah, yeah, the air would be a big problem. But yeah, but the, I just don't see having two, two cabinets with two guys blasting. Yeah. Like I just, I don't think I'm going to be Makes there. Makes sense. I, I think small shops are such a the, cool the learning tool just because you you have to develop a certain type of efficiency. And I'm like dealing with some of the same stuff, which is I've got my Haas TM1P, which is more table space than I need and less tools than I would like. So now I'm looking at the Sile mm-hmm. because it's a smaller footprint and it has more tools. But the footprint is actually one of the yeah. main things that I'm looking at. Like if I can gain another four feet of space, like, you know, a 16 cubic feet or something like that, or maybe 20 cubic feet in my shop um, or square, square foot, I guess. Um, it really does, yeah. man. That's an extra, that's a whole Means separate something. machine. That's like, yeah. I could get a, just a full size bridge yeah. port and, and I want one. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, I'm thinking literally I'm half a shop manager and half like a Tetris (laughs) guru. It's like, I'm getting to where it's kind of funny. Like if you come in my shop, cause this tumbler is huge. It's like 40 inches long. It's, I've got the exact spot for it. And it's like, I'm getting to where it's like, you know what I mean? It just, there's no, um, I've got not really, but the problem is 
at least it's so tight that there's so nowhere do you, okay to roll so it. if you look at your like, like no matter what, gonna, what i'm like, like trying just, to remember your chop layout but like you don't have bench with another tool mm-hmm. that like rolls out from underneath it or uh do you have toolboxes under your benches like are you maximizing those spaces yeah okay under the benches are fully utilized uh but they're not it's like the things that are under there are like uh I like a large trash can, all my, my, uh, my actual stools that I like sit on yeah. go under there and then totes. I've got totes under my benches and, uh, and yeah, so it's, I'm just, get, uh, like I said, I'm just getting all the Tetris and like going with the compressor up high yeah. is like the first yeah. time where I'm kind of doing like 3d Tetris, <laughs> you know? Max is and so it's, it's just funny. I love it, man. I would. Yeah, I know. Right. I would be psyched to see a book on just shop organization from this standpoint. Cause they exist like woodworkers. Yeah. Y'all are lucky. There's a bunch, there's like so many like garage woodworking shop. Like there's these beautiful books that show this like great organization. Yeah. Um, like knife making tool making. It doesn't really, I don't think it exists the same way, but there's yeah. a lot of cool solutions. Um, yeah. We've talked about Bob T in the past. Like he's, he's mm-hmm. a great example. It's like, he really, he's always, as long as I've known and been in fairly small shops, but they are just so well organized and thought out. Um, it's like fully featured. Yeah. When I got to say, dude, I love my shop. Like I, I go out there. I'm so happy with it. Yeah. Like I'm really, I'm really happy with it. It's like, I don't, my mental yeah, yeah. picture is not desiring more space. Like I don't, I Same. almost have, have fun with like the Tetris part of it. And, uh, you have wall and so cabinets? I, I really like it. And like, um, like up, up but above, yeah, it's, it's limiting. Uh, I have, so I have shelves that are about mm-hmm. like 30 inches. It's a, like a nine and a half foot ceiling. And so I've got shelves that run like yep. two of the, of the walls, like the whole length of the shop that are up high, yep. like above head height that are full of like totes, because that's where basically my wife and I kind of made a deal. Cause like our shop, my shop right. was kind of like a normal garage before I bought the Tormach. And I was like, okay, we got to make a deal. We got to put everything that's not shop related on these shelves. This is what we have. And so she kind of organized and was like, we got to get rid of this, this, this. So it got like reduced down to like, (laughs) this is where our Christmas ornaments go, blah, blah, blah. And that's all up high. So like anything above eye level for me is like, that's not the shop. You know, we do, we do it like a storage space. And yeah, got one too. And it's like, is it a business? We've got one too. (laughs) See, I mean, it's like, it's just, I don't know. It may be debatable, but like yeah. in my mind, my uh, shop my, ours, this ours stuff. is mostly business. And stuff, so the like, business is paying um, for, but I just realized, yeah, small, small mm-hmm. spaces. The next one for me will be wall cabinets. So I don't like to do any cabinet that would mm-hmm. take up bench space. Right. So like everything for me yeah. should be table height with storage below and above. Um, storage can be either for something mm-hmm. that is a piece of equipment that can roll out or some type of toolbox. Um, I, I just think that there's, there's a modular aspect that allows you to really increase your functionality based on the tools that you don't need all the time. Like it's so easy just to like put all the tools up on a bench and just leave them there. But it's, I don't, I don't like clutter Mm -hmm. and it starts to waste actual usable space. Um, so, Mm-hmm. Well, 
one thing I got to figure out, maybe you've seen something like this. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm starting to accumulate pallets for the machine. Mm-hmm. So it's Pearson pallets and Saunders Machine Works pallets. Luckily, they're, they're right. all the same dimension in the Y direction. So yep. they're like, I think it's 12 inches. Uh, no, no, they're not that big. Maybe it's eight. I don't remember. But anyway, yep. I need to make some kind of rack to store them baker's because rack. they can't be dinged or damaged or yep. like something something like a baker's, baker's rack, rack that's on wheels Good point. that rolls under one of your benches. Yeah. Well, I was telling my wife, I was like, what can yep. I Google that has that sort of yep. form factor? And then you and can I, adjust. Baker's you, rack you, didn't you, come to mind, so that's you, good like point. You could even do it out of 80-20 or something, but you could have it to where if you had like, I don't know if your yeah. fixtures have height to them, but like three inches or something, four inches probably, right? Like You could do it to where if you had a yeah. six inch one or yeah. something. Uh, I mean, two. But yeah, if you had a, a three inch yeah. t- or a three foot well, tall was- rack on wheels where your fixture slid in. And you only need two and a half yeah. inches. That's the majority of your fixtures right there. Yep. Yeah. Like yep. a giant. I'm struggling VCR with tooling arms stack. from my grinders. Yeah. Um, which, man, because oh, I, yeah. I have so many. I have, a, pro- I have a problem um, with that too. Just for different, like, like mowing platens and like, you know, small wheels and like slack small wheel. and all this like weird yeah. stuff that like I use very infrequently, but they're cumbersome they're they're like heavy and i haven't figured out like all right what what is it that yeah i'm thinking some kind of wall mount like lately i've been i'm really into this yeah, idea that's, of that's have you ever seen like in a if in you, a kitchen where they like say you have like a like a mixer and it's inside of a cabinet but it's on like a cammed table okay so oh, yeah, I'm trying to think about those. things the like that awesome. in the shop. So yeah. like, say I've got pretty tall ceilings, like 10 foot. So say I had in my grinding room on one mm. section of the wall, essentially a, a tooling arm rack that slid up the wall and just had like some kind of like ballast, you know, or like, like gas cylinder or something. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like, a, like, and just go like when it's out of the way, it just goes strong and is up at the ceiling. <laughs> I know. dude if you come up with a cool solution for that you got to tell me because I, I i don't have very many attachments because i don't i don't do a whole lot of yeah. grinding but i've got yeah i've probably like got three 12. attachments that are like, floating around and i've just the been shelving short end yeah the other thing is i always cringe when i set the rubber wheel on a surface because i'm like i feel like if it's going to sit there a long time if there's like a little bit of pressure on one spot right. on the wheel, is it going to like bulge it or put a yeah, flat you never spot like on lay them something? on the rubber. So I'm always there's, like, weary. so there's that, there's that scale thing coming back. Yeah. In, right? Which is like on one hand, it actually, if someone could just come make all this stuff and I could just be a huge nerd and like optimize the workspace, <laughs> I would be psyched. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Mm-hmm. How do you, well, how yeah. do you like, I built like a, a forge shop cart floor for my specialist forge as is in the name a while back. And it, man, it was delightful. Mm-hmm. I just really enjoyed it. I didn't, I didn't take it all the way to finish, but I got it to where it's on wheels and I can put my forge on it, but that's, that's work time. So how do you, when you're mm-hmm. busy, like how do you allocate that time? What do you consider that time? Do you do it in blocks? Do you do it like. So I, I don't know if it's the way I always want to do it, but because I had so much of that this year with all the new stuff and all the new shop up yeah. improvements, it was Saturdays. Like, honestly, it was just, I just, 
I didn't work hardly any Saturdays that I was actually making product, but like I would talk to my wife and say, you know, this month I probably got to work a Saturday because I need to get the garage door framed in or whatever. And I would just knock off a Saturday and like get a big job done. And I don't know if I want to, well, the nice thing is I'm, that type right. of project for me is definitely when and, and it's I'm cyclical as our as so like much the work boys are getting me, older i'm trying to do that less so like i've always said like the week is in the business saturdays are on the business so like if i'm working saturday it is organization it's yeah. it's like fabbing stuff like that um but at this point i think too yeah. you and i are both in yeah. a really sweet spot as far as the age of our kids because they need us but they don't need mm-hmm. like you don't have little league games yet or, or like dance recitals or, or whatever it is that is like a reoccurring, you know, hobby on their, or, Mm -hmm. or like, you know, after school activity or whatever on their side. And as they get older, that's really gonna, I think, start to come in more and more. Lay it on me. I got a a funny little thing. Delta was in the shop with me the other day. She's starting to spend more and more time out there with her. She puts her headphones on because I, my compressor, and so she, that's another reason I want the screw is so that my kids can spend more time out there. But anyway, she's sitting, I'm like, uh, I don't know she just sit right here at this bench on the stool. Like I looked around, I'm like there's nothing she can really break or like cut herself. And I look back after I messed around with something else. And I had two big bins of black and brass <laughs> eyelets and she had mixed them all together. Yep. And I was like, yep. Nice. It was really funny. I was like, I, I, I was like, she could play with those. Like she'll probably just like, Dude. I don't know dink around and it's it's so good mi- just I had, like over there um, digging <laughs> Bo started jujitsu again last night so like he started when he was four like kind of was tired after school like really squidly like would lay on the ground and roll around and lately he's been asking for it again so maddie took him to jujitsu i picked winston up from school we were walking back from school he sees a shop he's like work shop more one work in the shop and i'm like all right it's so mm-hmm. funny how they interact with it differently. Bo loves to come out here. He wants to go sit at my drawing table mm-hmm. and he wants to draw knives. Winston wants to be fully down in the shop. Wants to know what all the machines are. Want like opening drawers. Yeah. yeah. So we, that we sat at my um, fixturing table. I actually, I, I'll, I'll have to post on Instagram cause it's pretty cute, but we just, we, we have like, um, I forget what they're called, but it's like, uh, like, ex, you know, expanded metal, like, little tractor kit. You put it together with screws and, and nuts. And man, we yeah. sat there for probably an hour just putting it together and he was psyched. So it's as, as like, that's, awesome. I see these videos of like shop folk being like, it is the best thing in the world to have your kid in the shop. And like it is, but it's also stressful because it's, it's yeah. Yeah. Well, look, we make knives. Yeah, it's da- I mean, there's like, things that are dangerous. Furniture, it's you know? active. There's things that like he's grabbing. He's yeah. just like reaching up on top of tables. And so at this point, I'm like, he's only two and a half. So I'm trying to basically just like, okay, look, like when you're in this space, like we we are interacting like a little bit differently. And like, here's where you and I work, and here's what we're working on. Basically, like trying to teach the concept of like the shop, the shop ultimately is for work. It's like when you're welcome to be out here, but we're going to be, mm-hmm. we're going to be working. It's not just like unsupervised, like dink yeah. around, like rompous room. Yeah. Not a dink room. around. Um, it's not a play. Room. I don't know if that's like the, the right or wrong room. way to do it, yeah. but, but it, but it's important. And I really, 
Uh, I, agree I think with, with that. kids at this point, I'm really trying to figure out like what, like of, of my skill sets, like what I can give them of a positive nature, like hopefully avoid as much trauma as possible and like give them as many mm-hmm. just like intuited yeah. abilities. So I don't know. It's fun though. I think, it, I think there's a lot of value yeah. in just, just letting them be around yeah. like, cause they'll know what you do too. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of kids that, like don't know what their parents do for a living. Yep. I think that's a kind of a cool connection. connection. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in a leather shop, which has its, has a few sharp pointy things laying around, but like I actually could kind of, it's a, it's a very <laughs> quiet, like my dad listened so to Mozart and like Beethoven when I was a kid. So it was like that kind of shop versus my shop, which is like, <laughs> you need to block out the angry noises. Um, but yeah, that was, but yeah, I mean, like my sister cut herself pretty good one time with a knife, a leather knife on accident. And yeah, there's a few little things, but growing up in a shop, like you good. just kind of got so much like common sense things, but you know, but like also yeah. like meeting them where they're at and giving them, like, I'm trying to figure it out now of like, what, what can I let them do or what can I include them in? We had, we had like a big batch of range dry patches a while back and it was great, man. Like Winston, Winston has a, a type of focus that Bo, Bo doesn't, he, Bo jumps around more. He sat with me for like close to two hours. I would, I would like QC the patch, burn the edge, hand it to him. He'd put, put two of them in a bag and we just did that. And I was like, all right, that's like, he loved it. It actually helped me. Maybe it took, maybe it actually took a little longer. I don't know, but it was mm-hmm. so satisfying. I was just like, all right, cool. That's like the level you can actually come in. Yeah. And you can do work like an adult, but it's, but also showing that work can be enjoyable. Like that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That is really cool. Yeah. That's again, that's part of why I'm getting the tumbler is not only the bottleneck aspect and the blast and the, uh, air compressor is the tumbler is way bigger and it's probably not going to be quieter, but it won't have to run as long to do the same amount of work. So I have more time in the shop without it running in theory. And then the air compressor, obviously, my piston compressor is like a yeah, freaking it's, sledgehammer on a metal like, door. Like it's so bad. Ten years, and you you don't notice how yeah. atrocious they are until you get rid of it, and then you're basically like never again. Like it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and my shop's connected to the house, so it's like. I mean, I'll forget I have a ball valve to like isolate it at night because yeah. I have a little leak here and there and like the machines and stuff. And if I forget to turn <laughs> off the ball valve, I'll be laying in bed and I'll just hear it. <laughs> and it's like, geez, those are that, that's loud. Like it's like a jackhammer of the shop. And so I think like in the beginning, it's like you make things work as you progress. Mm-hmm. It's you make things enjoyable. Right. That's why you see these like, you know, yeah. like. Yeah. shops from like older older craftspeople and they're just it's like you're like i kind of would like to just maybe live in there like it's like there's bookshelves and like yeah you know yeah. like beautiful cabinetry yeah. and stuff speaking awesome. speaking of cabinetry um mm-hmm. and organization and like all things okay so i've never done a lot of woodworking super interested in it and there's a real benefit like i would love to just be able to make a cabinet for my shop Festool. Mm-hmm. Are you mm-hmm. familiar with Festool at all? Oh my God, man. The, the um, name rings a bell, but go I'm not down a rabbit hole on that. I went, um, we have some friends here that are fan builders. 
um, their, their Instagram is how we adventure. I went to a Christmas party at their mm-hmm. shop. Yeah. Not, not I didn't know that guys like that lived in Bend. <laughs> like, that's strange. No. <laughs> um, yeah. So they, they build absolutely beautiful vans. And one of the nicest things about them is their cabinetry. So I went into their shop and there's no dust. And I know they do their wood cabinetry in the shop. Everything is, you would love it. Like maybe when you come visit, like maybe we can go run by and see them, but yeah, the yeah. dust collection system, it's, it's, they're German. They fit into these small modular boxes. And what you usually see is people like one of the first projects is people build like a cabinet that fits all of these different tools. And then they all plug into this really powerful and efficient dust collection system. So it's small form factor, very little dust. It is, That's it's so amazing. Awesome. So I'm like, I've been trying to figure out like what, what like a base setup for a corner of my shop. Cause if I can do it and have like really minimal dust, they said, basically they're like, yeah, well, mm-hmm. the dust that we do have, we can just sweep up, but they're like, there's not, and they don't even have air movers in the shop. Like I have air handlers in my ceiling. They don't even have that. So mm. it's pretty cool. Festival. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, gr- I grew up doing leather and wood at exclusively. And honestly, I didn't even drill a hole in a piece of metal until so funny. Basically you and I when I started doing reversed. all this stuff. So, cause I, I mean, I started but, welding when I was 16. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, that's all I've ever done is metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe I said this on the podcast for the one little exposure I had that did get me excited about metalworking is I had the, a friend that his parents owned a construction mm-hmm. company, like big, like they had like a 20,000 square foot shop crazy. for like working on like front end loaders and stuff. They did like gravel crushing jobs, like crazy large, like highway department jobs. And we, at, at like nine years old, we, his parents were very free range. We could run around in that shop and literally do whatever we wanted, including like using the welders Dude, and the press, press breaks, breaks and like hole punches and stuff. And so that's sketch. I was going to say like, as long as someone kind of knows what they're doing with a welder and like you throw on a hood, you're fine. Press break, man. I don't yeah. know if I would have that flexibility. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was honestly in th- thinking back like w- the free range aspect of it was insane. But like that was the first time I ever welded. He's just like, uh, go over there in the corner where that pile of metal is and like find some and then just come over here. And That's it's like, oh, cool. I, I welded. And it was like only only oversight. Was like I another 10 year old. Actually, it was pretty funny. Like, huh? Pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. What else, man? It what do we blast. got going on? Um, I got I got a request for this year, but I don't know. I don't know what it is yet, but. Yeah. You and I did shows last year. We will probably end up doing that. We have to get together and actually like do something. Just visit at a shop or record at one of our shops or something. Yeah. 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 Yep. 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 Let's make it happen. I was telling, I was telling Becca, we need to put it on the calendar like this week yep. and just and not like, yep. you know what I mean? This week we need to find a date later. Yep. Just um, and just put it on there so we can get together. But that, I mean, it, man, it's keep hard. talking if about it's it. On and paper, keep not doing it. Exist. So. You know, so yeah, this this whole yeah. week, Maddie and I have just yeah. been like, yeah, what? well, we both have a couple of what kids are we doing and... this year, like, and trying to really look at it from a standpoint mm-hmm. of what are our actual like priorities and goals, and then trying to like back into it and build everything else around that. Because I feel like so often, like we look at it and you're like, oh, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. But then 
nothing that you're doing is actually like leading towards that thing. Yeah. 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 You have to have like a material well, set of goals what, and a material what game plan. Hang out. I guess podcast an easy one. Maybe it's also like something yeah. that's completely maybe not that's step like one. Maybe we just make a point to go camping. Oh, that's a good one. Go to a cabin. I've, we've, if you want to go into some cool, cool places in Idaho, my wife's side of the family, they have two cabins. Overland trip or something. Maybe we could go check one out. It's a good plan. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I feel like, I feel like I've got all my, all my points out for today. What about you? Okay. <laughs> it was like a nice, yeah, nice no, year beginning solid. conversation. Um, yeah. Cool. Let's call it. Yeah. Let's wrap it. Yeah. Happy New Year's. 2023. Guys. Let's rock and roll. All right. Peace. Yeah. Peace.